Well, welcome to the Helping Families Be Happy podcast, where we explore the often messy world of family, love, and relationships. I'm your host for this podcast, Christopher Robbins, husband, father of nine, founder of Finlayas, fly fisherman, and outdoor enthusiast living in the beautiful California Central Valley. For the video of this podcast, please view it on the Finlayas YouTube channel. Now, we welcome today's guest, Hillary Waller. Now, Hillary is the Director of Education and Programming and a psychotherapist at the Postpartum Stress Center. She provides individual and group therapy services at the Postpartum Stress Center, coordinates all training and education programming, and instructs the majority of educational in-services provided by the Postpartum Stress Center. After earning dual bachelor degrees at Columbia University and the Jewish Theological Seminary, Hillary worked with adolescents in both formal and informal educational settings. This experience piqued her interest in parent-child relationships and led her to pursue a master's degree in counseling psychology with a specialty in marriage and family therapy. Currently, Hillary conducts specialized trainings for organizations seeking expertise in the treatment of perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. She co-authored the revised edition of Dropping the Baby and Other Scary Thoughts on the Perinatal Patient, A Compassionate Approach to treating postpartum depression, anxiety, and related disorders. Now, today we're discussing how to recognize and help our teens and our children when they are struggling with anxiety or depression. The podcast aligns with the Finlayas Habits Learn Together, Talk Together, and Heal Together. You can learn more about the Finlayas 10 Habits of Happy Families by going to the Habit Hub blog on Finlayas.com. Now, Hillary, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and to be chatting with you about this important topic. To be part of this this project is really amazing. Yeah, well, thank you. Now, unfortunately, it seems that anxiety and depression among today's children, this rising generation, seems maybe it's too much to say, but it seems almost an epidemic. Mm. I hear it again and again and again. Now, Help us understand, as parents or those who are working with with today's youth, Mm -hmm. how can we recognize the difference between normal ups and downs and a more significant issue that maybe our youth is experiencing? It's such an important question. And I want to first share with your audience that I straddle both the line of being a mom and a psychotherapist. And so it's interesting because I have kids that are in this preteen teen demographic now. And so I ask myself all the time as a mom, this very question, right? When do I ask for different help? What are red flags that I need to notice? And as a therapist, I'm sort of in the academic space, so to speak, in the professional space of trying to figure out what's going on with this teen epidemic of mental health. And so the guidance that I give to all parents who are asking these questions as parents, my therapist advice is as parents, even when you are a therapist, you're not your child's therapist, right? You're not their physician. You're not their healthcare provider. And so it's so important for parents to remember that our role is to love our kids. And if we feel worried about our kids to start asking questions of the people around us, to start finding out what should I look for in my kid? How do I know for my individual kid? And so my hope in sort of giving such a simplistic answer is to take the pressure off of parents to be able to figure out the answer on their own. And my goal, if we can sort of walk away with like one thing that everybody learns from this podcast today is parents should be asking for help. Parents need help. 
raising their teens. And as therapists, we're learning how to help today's teens. And so I encourage all parents to reach out to therapists and find out what's normal and what's not normal. In terms of the guidance that I can give for today, I think at a baseline, as a parent, when you feel your instinct is telling you something's not right here, that's the first, to me, red flag that you need to go ask a question of someone that can help guide you. Okay. So we actually have a book called Mothering with Courage, and, and that's the author's advice, is that instinctively something mm-hmm. is, is going well or something is going wrong. So you're saying trust our instincts, and that that's okay. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And as you mentioned, I work my much of my professional work is with new moms and moms to very small babies and young children. And the more we can help our new moms learn to trust their instincts and figure out how to find out the answers that they need about their kids, the better position they'll be when their kids are adolescents and teens. I guess from what you're saying, I'm I'm understanding that we need to be cognizant of our child's baseline behavior. We need to be mm-hmm. around them enough to know what is normal ups and downs for them and what is different. Mm-hmm. What's an outlier? Mm-hmm. Okay. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, you know, probably people have a lot of questions on that, but I guess the, the answer there is let's be present. Let's be with our children. Let's get to know them well enough to know when something's an outlier. There's some stigma attached to mental illness, anxiety, depression. Maybe it's generational. Maybe we're taught this. I'm not sure. But how do you help us as parents and as, as youth leaders destigmatize mental health so that our youth are willing to chat with us about it? Help us to know so we can help them. Yeah, it's a really interesting question, especially because you're talking about specifically with teens, a population, and to kind of reference what you said before, that both wants their parents to be very present and wants to push their parents away, right? That is the developmental stage of a teenager. To both like sort of want mom and dad to know what's going on and to need their parents to know what's going on, but also to really want independence and to sort of crave privacy and make boundaries. And we have to walk that fine line of respecting their desire for independence while also kind of keeping our sensibilities about us and learning how to read between their lines. So when it comes to stigma, this goes both ways, both as parents in our generation, there's been strong stigma around mental health. There can be a lot of judgment, self-judgment for parents around my child needs mental health support or even questioning whether my child needs mental health support. And then for kids too, there's strong stigma around needing to ask for support, right? So kids are are sensitive to this also. Is it okay for me to ask my parents? What kinds of messages do I get from my parents or from my cultural environment about needing therapy or needing to talk about mental health? I really like the terminology emotional health. I think the term mental health has been a little more stigmatized. And when we start to talk with kids around well-being, taking care of our well-being, taking care of our emotions, starting at a really young age, no matter what age the children are of your listeners, we can start talking about feelings, creating from a very young age, just an open conversation about that. And then also kids today are getting more positive messages about emotional health, mental health, psychology than parents even in my generation received. And so kids in there, in in many school settings, in their social settings, they're talking more about their emotional and their mental health. So some of the stigma rests in the parents. And this is where, as a therapist who does a lot of work with parents, parents sometimes need to work through their own stigma around 
their own needs for mental health support or emotional health support. Sort of two pieces to the puzzle. It's not just on the child. Yeah, I remember we have a son who has some mental illness. And I remember we realized this when he was very young, two, three years old. I remember going to a therapist with him and sitting with her for an hour and realizing that this therapy wasn't for him. It was for me and my wife. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned vocabulary. What I think I heard is that um, using phrases like well-being may be more appropriate than saying things like mental health. Is that accurate? It may be more palatable, depending on who the child is, who the family is, what the community is. Mm -hmm. That's helpful. Words are, are powerful. Now, what about the fact that some of us might have teen children? Some of us might have very young children. Some of us might be dealing with that continuum of age. How do we talk with each age group in a way to help them with their with their well-being? Fortunately, I think Familius has some really great books that we can use to help in that effort. I really think that that I'm a huge fan of reading with children. I think it's a great way to connect with our kids. It's really regulating for us and for our kids when they're small. And there are so many great books on the market if you're not sure how to speak with your kids about mental health and find good language around how to talk about mental health. I would encourage you just to search for some books on feelings for young children and search your child's age. There's so much out there that teaches us how to acknowledge our kids' feelings using feeling words. For example, this can be, I acknowledge how hard this can be when you have, for example, a three-year-old having a tantrum or a two-year-old having a tantrum. It can be very hard for a parent to sort of remain present and say, I see that you're feeling really angry. Those are some big angry feelings, right? Now, a lot of what I do in therapy when I work with parents is help them learn their own self-regulation strategies, right? So they can utter those words to their kids and stay calm. But when we're able to do that as parents, we're really helping our kids to develop language so that they have words to use and to throw. So even from a very young age, starting to teach our kids to use feeling words and continuing to model that as our kids get older, giving them more and more options for feeling words and using those words ourselves. An example of a book, Phyllis has published a board book called So Many Feelings by Larissa Honsek. Mm-hmm. They use clay figures to show sad, happy, mm-hmm. angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, those allows a child to, I know what this feeling is. I, I can put a word to it. And words mm-hmm. are, I guess, as I said, words are very powerful. Mm-hmm. Be able to put a word to how we're feeling. That's helpful. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, you're giving us advice, but sometimes parents, we don't know where to go. As youth leaders, we don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So if we were looking, you're encouraging us to, to be educated, learn how to get resources. Mm-hmm. Where should we go? Point us in the right direction, please. Yeah, yeah. It's especially an important question because there's so much content, right? There's so much content available for parents to read. How do you begin to like, or to gather? How do you begin to sort through what's helpful? The first thing that I would say is to actually limit the number of resources that you use because the more content we consume, the harder it is to really make a decision. So when you're looking for websites, when you go to Google, all of these different opportunities that we have to gather information, try to stick to just a couple of resources that you trust. That's number one. And then when it comes to looking for people, right? It's always really important if you have a good relationship with your child's pediatrician to start there. 
We think about pediatricians as medical health doctors, but remember that an important part of their job is to help protect our kids' emotional well-being and their mental health too. So that is an easy first-line person that you can call who probably knows your children well and has had a long relationship with them. So it's a great place to start. As therapists, I am always very, very open to a phone call from a parent who says, I don't actually know if there's a problem right now with my child, but I'd love to come in and talk about what's going on so we can kind of figure that out. I ethically consider that part of my job to help guide people to figure out what kind of healthcare do they need? What kind of emotional support do they need? So I would encourage parents who are wanting to sort of go directly to a therapist, look in your geographical area or ask some people in your community if that feels comfortable to you. For psychotherapists, you might look for a licensed professional counselor, a marriage or family therapist, someone who provides um, counseling for teens and give a call and kind of take some bravery and courage, but ask the question, are you someone that feels comfortable helping me by hearing what I'm noticing in my child? Can we talk about that? And can you help me figure out what to do next? Hmm. If a parent has their own therapist, that's another place that they might consider initiating. That's that's great advice. I like how you said to try to keep it simple, reduce the number of resources. Often when I'm teaching my children, my wife, Michelle, will say to me, Christopher, too many words. (laughs) Too many words. (laughs) I'm also guilty. I'm quite verbose. (laughs) Too many words. That's right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, let's just go back. We have a few more minutes. I'd like to, do you see common denominators in the mental health issues or anxiety issues that we're seeing that perhaps we can be aware of? What is, are there triggers or things that as parents we should be thinking about as our children are struggling? A hard question to answer in brief, because when I experience the world as an adult, I think the world is just so, for me, overwhelming and overstimulating, right? And so I think about in a couple of days, I'm going to send my kids back to school and back into their rushed routine of like even what their school day looks like. And so when I think about the many, many factors that impact our kids, there are just, there are myriad reasons that kids are feeling a lot of anxiety now. The teens are feeling a lot of anxiety and experiencing a lot of depression now. And I actually think that instead of looking at how to reduce the triggers, right? How to reduce the risks and risk reduction is important, right? The best thing that we can all do, again, that common denominator piece, and to keep it really simple, is really, really focus on keeping lines of communication open. And remember that when you're initiating conversation, especially with a teenager, they may not be responsive. You may initiate conversation and they may look you in the eye and say, I can't stand you and slam the door in your face, right? But I encourage parents to keep offering opportunities for communication. Because continuing to open those doors for your teens reminds your teen that you're there, right? They have options. Give your teens additional options. Hey, if you don't want to talk to me about this, talk to the school counselor, talk to someone in the spiritual community, talk to another family member. Keep opening those doors because your teens will need to tell you what their triggers are. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. There's there's probably not one thing. Everyone's different. Every Mm -hmm. child, while there are common denominators that we're all experiencing in terms of whether it's the environment or just war or just issues within our own family. There's just, we're just such different people. I sat last week for an hour and listening to my teenage son vent. Some of it was about me. Some of it was about his mom. Some of it was about his family. Some of it was about his friends. Some of it was about his teachers. So it was just like, 
an unbelievable amount of stuff that was just coming. And I just said, that sounds really hard. That, that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> so yeah, probably, Rob, we can't think of maybe it's one thing. It's probably just a lot of stuff that we just yeah. need to help them learn how to work through because life can be challenging. Keep in mind too, that when people are feeling, and even if you think about this in yourself, when people are feeling overwhelmed and stressed, like there's a lot of stuff, we feel tense in our bodies, right? And that embodied feeling of tension is closely related to anxiety, can become anxiety, can trigger from anxiety. And so when you sit with your child, no matter at what age, right? From the time they're little babies until they're older teens or adults, when we just sit with someone and make eye contact and be present with them, think about how that's just calming. It just feels good. So even if all you're doing is sitting with your teen at the kitchen table and having this conversation, think about the good that that's doing for them. It's hard, right? But it's not a lot. It doesn't take a lot. And when we have the opportunity to do that for our teens, it's such a gift. That is great advice. Now, I'm sure there are some parents who are really struggling and maybe their families are suffering. They know that their child is suffering and they they need some hope. So is there anything you can share to just that you can leave us with to say, we can get through this. We mm-hmm. Let's take the proper steps and things can get better. Mm-hmm. I have so much hope as a mom. I have so much hope as a therapist. It's really hard because I've also been living in our world with war and the environment and all the things that have happened over the last years. And so sometimes it can feel really, really dark. It's really important for parents when things feel dark, when things feel scary, to remember that at the core, at the core, having love for your child is the best and most important thing that you can do. Because whatever the outcome, whoever your child becomes, they will rely on the fact that you love them. They will know your love as a parent. And so maintaining contact with that feeling of love for your child, even when it's really, really hard, is just enough to sort of keep that like candle flickering, right? When everything feels really dark. And if that's hard for a parent to do, and it can be really hard for a parent to do, I really encourage you to reach out for support from, from friends, partners, a therapist for, for themselves too. Because when things feel so dark, we sort of lose touch with that. There's support for parents also. This has been very helpful. And we're just grateful that you would take time to share with us. Now, where can our guests find you online? So my practice at the Postpartum Stress Center, I can be found at www.postpartumstress.com. Despite the fact that that I work at the Postpartum Stress Center, I work with parents and kids of parents and older teens all across the the developmental spectrum. I, I really see how when parenting starts when we're postpartum, that's when when our lives become differently chaotic and interesting. And so I don't only see clients in the postpartum period. We look at the whole experience of parenthood. Hey, that's great. Well, as we conclude today's podcast, I'd like to thank Finlayas for the support in bringing this podcast to your ears and your heart. We'd be thrilled if you subscribed to the podcast and left us a review. And when you're ready for that next amazing book adventure, we'd be honored if you chose a book from Finlayas. One step at a time, one book at a time, we can make the world a happier place. <laughs>